This morning, I'm doing something a bit out of the ordinary. I'm going to be stationary here, and I'm using a manuscript. Because of the sensitivity of my topic, I want to say exactly what I intend to say. The title of the sermon this morning is, No Matter Who's President, Jesus is King. Amen. Absolutely. This is something about which we can all agree. This is not a political sermon. And yet it is a political sermon. It's not a political sermon because one of my goals this morning is to get us all thinking less about American politics. I'm not going to mention any of the current candidates for any office, state or federal, by name this morning. So you can go ahead and breathe a collective sigh of relief if you're worried about that. I'm not going to mention political parties. We have a long tradition here of not endorsing or publicly supporting one candidate or party over another from this pulpit. And I believe that's a good and right tradition in keeping with biblical teaching. Besides, many of you have already voted. And so even if I were to tell you who to vote for, Uh, It would be too late. Not that you'd listen to me anyway. So this sermon is not at its heart about who you should vote for. So it's not a political sermon. On the other hand, this is a political sermon. Because I want to get all of us thinking more about the politics of God's kingdom. And if that sounds odd to you... Simply consider that the word politics means, one definition describes it as, the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area. As Christians, we believe in the existence of a kingdom, capital K, that the resurrected Christ governs and that we inhabit as His chosen people, as the citizens of this kingdom. And so like Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we can confidently say that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That is where our citizenship lies. His beloved Son is the King of this kingdom in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this this is a political statement. And this morning, it's this kingdom and her king that I want us to focus on. It's this kingdom and her king that deserve every ounce of our attention and devotion, our time and energy. Because truly, no matter who's president, Jesus is king. And that is our politics here at this congregation. But of course... There will be a new president-elect in just two days, unless the Lord returns. And by the way, at all times, we ought to be praying, come, Lord Jesus, just as the early Christians did. So I want to ask you, how are you feeling about the election coming up on Tuesday? I know that some of you feel tired. I won't ask for a show of hands, but there are those of you out here who are tired of this campaign season. You've been tuned in to this unconventional, often ugly campaign season for over a year now, and you're weary of it. In fact, I've heard some of you say, I hate it. 
During the 2012 presidential election, there was a YouTube video of a little girl. She was crying. Uh, and this video, it went viral. And her mother in the video asked, what's wrong? And the little girl through tears says, I'm tired of Bronco, Obama, and Mitt Romney. And her mother says, oh, it'll be over soon, Abby. Okay, the election will be over soon. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you feel like you need someone to console you and tell you it's going to be okay. The election will be over soon. You're tired. You're weary. Some of you have just totally checked out. You're either not interested in politics or you're tired of this particular campaign season. So you're just pretending like there is no election. You've decided to live under that proverbial rock, as we say. You've got your fingers in your ears and you are humming loudly in order to tune out all the election noise. You don't want to hear another speech. You don't want to see another commercial, an ad. You don't want to listen to another reporter's take on the whole ordeal. You're done. But there are others this morning, others in our midst, and you feel concerned. You feel deeply concerned about the outcome of this election and about the future of this country. And I'm not here this morning to tell you that your concerns are silly. I'm here this morning to tell you that I share many of those concerns. As a Christian, I have grave concerns about our society. I'm concerned about the weakening of our nation's moral fiber. I'm concerned about the assault on religious liberty and the uncertain future of our freedom to worship and practice our faith as we choose. I'm concerned about nuclear armament and the possibility of violent conflicts and wars that we might be involved in. I'm concerned about the cruel disregard for unborn life in our country. I'm concerned about the lack of good paying jobs and income inequality and systemic poverty that so many face. I'm concerned about our country's lingering racial divides that only seem to grow deeper and wider. I'm concerned about a Supreme Court whose rulings do not reflect the Judeo-Christian values on which this country was founded. We ought to be concerned. We ought not to hide our heads in the sand. We, we ought to be deeply concerned about all these things and more. And it's a blessing to live in a country where concerned people like ourselves can make our voices heard by voting. The earliest Christians, as many of you know, living under the iron fist of Roman rule, did not enjoy this privilege. They had no say whatsoever in the operation of their government. But we do. We have the right to vote. And out of concern for the direction of our country, we should exercise it. But for some, maybe some sitting in the audience this morning, concern has turned into fear. There are people in our country who are experiencing such anxiety and dread about this election that they've, become, they've made themselves physically sick. They're having trouble sleeping and eating. People are scared. Maybe unlike they've ever been before over an election. You've seen it. 
You've witnessed it. You've experienced it. Maybe you've felt it yourself. There is an inordinate amount of fear in our country over this election. But I want to say as clearly as I can, this should not be the case for God's people. Christians ought to be concerned, as we've said, but we cannot and we should not be afraid. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. Do you know that, do you know what is one of the most repeated commands in the Old Testament? Do not be afraid. God says it over and over again to Abraham, to Moses, to Joshua, to Elijah, and to all his chosen people in the Old Testament. The psalmist often rejects fear in light of his relationship with an all-powerful God. Listen to some excerpts from the Psalms. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 46, 2. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we will not be afraid. Psalm 56, 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And finally, Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The New, Te- the New Testament carrying on into the Bible, tells us that fear does not characterize the Christian life. Paul declares that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And John writes, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And let me tell you, I'm preaching this sermon as much to myself as I am to you. Because this has been a struggle for me. And as I read what John has to say in 1 John 4, I come to the conclusion that I am not yet perfected in love. Because I still struggle with fear. Fear over the results of this election and what's going to happen in our country. What John says is that the love that we have experienced from God through Jesus and that ought to extend through us to our neighbors ought to be enough to chase any lingering fears away. But most of us, all of us, are still a work in progress in this area. After all this, you might say to me, but Joseph, you don't understand the stakes in this election. We are at risk of losing basic freedoms. There are lives on the line. The future of this great nation is in jeopardy, so we ought to be afraid. We ought to be very afraid. Again, it's okay to be concerned about all the things that I just mentioned. I'm concerned. But it is not okay to be afraid. And let me tell you why there's no room for fear in the Christian life this morning. Let me share some scripture with you that I think we all need to take with us through Tuesday and beyond. And if you want to jot these passages down, feel free to do that. I'd love for you to turn there with me. We're going to go to three different places. The first is Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, 
I don't have it up here on the screen, so you'll have to rely on your copy of God's Word. We're going to go through around verse 14 to verse 18. In Matthew 16, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit, okay? So, stay with me. In Matthew 16, Peter is the first of Jesus' followers to acknowledge who he truly is. Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. That's verse 16. Others were saying that Jesus was the reincarnated John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, uh, or some other prophet. But Peter says, no, he's the Messiah. And in response, Jesus tells Peter that he possesses this knowledge because God has revealed it to him. This is divine knowledge. But Jesus also tells Peter in verse 18 that on the foundation of Peter's faith, Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church of God that we are a part of today was originally established on the bedrock of bold faith. But when we talk about elections, when Christians talk about elections in overly anxious terms, it appears to the world that we've traded in faith for fear. When we run around saying things like, if we don't elect the right person, it's all going down the tubes. We are not demonstrating steadfast faith in Christ. We're giving in to fear. And it's all too easy. Because so many people out in our country have already given in to fear. But when we give in to fear, outsiders can see it. And you know who else can see it? Our children. Our children are watching us closely and they can see that we are no longer compelled by bold faith in Jesus, but by fear. Listen, if the very gates of hell cannot bring down the church, why do we talk like a certain candidate or political party can? People are paying attention. Are we going to show them that God's people are characterized by faith in Jesus Christ and His eternal church? Or that we're crippled by fear? Now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. Check out Paul's message to Timothy in this passage. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Paul reminds Timothy of the core tenets of the gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ, God's son, risen from the dead, from the lineage of David. Remember this teaching. This is the good news of Jesus. And he says, it is this good news for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But listen to what he says next. But the word of God is not bound. Let's think about Paul here. Paul is not simply bound in prison. He's in a Roman prison. He's awaiting execution. And this is one of the last letters he writes before, as church tradition tells us, he was beheaded by the Roman government. Christians had faced significant persecution up to this point. They would continue to face significant persecution. And to top it all, the Christian movement's quarterback, Paul, is about to be killed. He's bound with chains, as he tells Timothy. 
But Paul wants Timothy to know something else. He wants him to know what's not bound. Paul might be bound. Paul might be in prison. But the word of God is not bound and will never be bound. It matters not how many of God's people are imprisoned, beaten, maimed, or killed. His word cannot be stopped and it will not be silenced. If Paul believed that God's word was not bound in his predicament, then we have every reason to believe that it's not bound today. God's word does not rely on human government or political power to advance its cause. In fact, it often goes forth most effectively when it's opposed by political power. We see that clearly in the example of the early church. So don't buy into the lie. Don't believe somebody who tells you that if the wrong people get elected, God's word will be silenced. It can't and it won't. God's word is not bound. It never will be bound. Finally, look with me in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to take a look at chapter 12. Starting in verse 26. Hebrews 12. Starting at 26. The Hebrews writer says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he, God, has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. When is this going to come about? This cosmic shaking that God refers to in the book of Hebrews. Well, God here is looking ahead to the day of the Lord when Jesus reappears, a day that only the Lord knows when will happen. And on that day, there will be a shaking. This is the image that that God uses here. A shaking of the earth and the heavens. Verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And so in this shaking, there will be some things that are not going to make it through. Some things that will be removed. And those things are things that have been made. Anything man-made. Man-made governments, nations, kingdoms, what falls through God's giant sieve, all these things that are man-made. But what remains? What remains? It's that which cannot be shaken, as God says in Hebrews. That which cannot be shaken. And what is that? Verse 28. Let us be grateful. Hebrews 12, 28. Let us be grateful. For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Listen, no matter what happens Tuesday and beyond, the throne of God will still be occupied. Jesus will still be king. And we will still be citizens of his unshakable eternal kingdom. So let's live like it. Let's behave in ways that demonstrate that our primary allegiance is to King Jesus. Let's show the world. And doesn't the world need to see some hope, some encouragement? There's so much discouragement. There's so much fear that we, the church, can be a beacon of hope and light. We can show the world a better way. Maybe God has called us to such a time as this. Maybe he, through this Terrible election season. Maybe he wants us to show the world that we have rock solid faith in something that will last. 
We have faith in the promises of God, no matter what happens in this nation or beyond. Let's live like it. Let's remember, as we go through the final hours of this election season, that every candidate is made in the image of God and therefore deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Let's decide to converse more about Christ and less about politics. On social media, let's spend more time defending our Lord Jesus than our candidate of choice. Let's commit to pray for whoever is elected. They're going to need it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, Pray for those who are in positions of authority. Pray that whoever is elected, we may lead peaceful and quiet lives in God's service. Let's submit to government as a beneficial good put in place by God. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. When it comes to government, let's affirm what can be affirmed. Let's challenge what's lacking. And let's denounce what is evil on the basis of God's word. Let's be champions of truth. Let's acknowledge truth, even when it's on the lips of a political foe. And let's denounce falsehood, even when spoken by our candidate of choice. We need to seek and name and celebrate truth, even when it's inconvenient for us. Most importantly, let us never forget that we belong to God's kingdom now and forever. Our hope never rises and falls with election outcomes because Jesus our King is never up for re-election. And at the end of time, the only thing left standing will be His unshakable kingdom. A well-known preacher tells about many years ago when he spent a week visiting the interior of Brazil with a longtime missionary pilot. He flew a circuit of remote towns in a small plane that threatened to come undone at the slightest gust of wind. He says Wilbur and Orville had a sturdier aircraft. The preacher could not get comfortable. He kept thinking that the plane was going to crash in some Brazilian jungle and he'd be gobbed up by piranhas or uh, swallowed by an anaconda. So he kept shifting around, looking down, gripping his seat as if that would help. Finally, the pilot had had enough of his squirming. He looked at him and he shouted over the airplane noise, we won't face anything that I can't handle. So you might as well trust me to fly the plane. Maybe that's the message that many of us need to hear from God. Yes, it's okay to be concerned. Yes, it's good to vote accordingly. No, it's not okay to be afraid. Yes, we must show the world a better way. A way of faith over fear. And we need to listen to the voice of our God who reminds us, you're not going to face anything that I can't handle. So yes, be engaged in politics. Yes, be engaged in culture. But you should know that nothing is going to happen that's going to thwart my promises. And so you might as well trust me to fly the plane. Maybe this morning you need to entrust your life to God. Maybe you've struggled with an inordinate amount of fear, and anxiety, you're ready to have that bold faith once again that Peter had when he confessed to Jesus, yes, you are the Christ. Yes, you are the Son of God. I believe it. I believe it. And I want to live like it. Maybe that's what you want to come and say this morning. I believe that, but I haven't been living in a way that shows the world, yes, I have full faith and trust that God will keep His promises to Jesus Christ. 
maybe you've never become a Christian. And this morning, you want to give your life over to something that is bigger than yourself? Something that will outlast anything that you see around you in this nation, in this world? You have an opportunity to do that. The offer of salvation and life by God's grace is always on the table. God is eager to give it to you. It is a gift, but you must reach out and grab it. And maybe you're thinking, this morning is the day that I need to come and and make that public confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I want to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of my sins so that I won't have anything to worry about, so that I don't have to fear things like elections and the future of our country. Yes, it's good to be concerned, but it's never okay to be afraid. If If you come and give your life to Jesus this morning, He can still your fearful heart. He can calm your nerves. He can give you the assurance that no matter what happens, you can share a home with Him and His Father, your Father, forevermore. If you have another concern that you're struggling with, you need prayers for, we'll have two elders after this worship service in the conference room. Feel free to stop by and talk to them, pray with them. But if right now you need to come and make something right in your relationship with God or give your life to God in the first place and enter that relationship, we invite you to do it. There's no better time than this. Do it right now as we stand and sing.